Welcome into the conversation on TYT. I am your host, Adrian Lawrence, and I am joined by two incredible guests. One of them being this man coming up right now, that's Terrell Germain Starr. He's the founder of Black Diplomats. That's a weekly foreign affairs podcast that tells stories, but from a black perspective. He's also a Fulbright scholar, and Terrell has over four years of experience living in the former Soviet Union, Ukraine. Wow, and more than eight years of experience working as a reporter. Thank you so much for joining us, Terrell. Hey, thank you, I appreciate being on. Yeah, all right. So tell us a little bit about Black Diplomats. So Black Diplomats is a place where, where black folk can talk about the world, basically. And that's as simple as that. So, and I called it Black Diplomats because we have this idea that just because you're not in the Foreign Service or you're not a Secretary of State or you don't work at the State Department, or you don't work in someone's ministry of foreign affairs that you can't be a diplomat or you can't have conversations about diplomacy and what that means and how you want to intersect that. And so with black diplomats, I decided to democratize what that means. And so it's not so much about talking about the issue of, I don't know, let's just say the Russia or the Kremlin's invasion of Ukraine, for example, or talking about the Iran deal. It's how do I make a conversation about foreign policy interesting and applicable to everyday people? Because we already already were overwhelmed by domestic politics, right? And so when you bring on international subjects that people especially don't have any connection to or feel that way, it's my job to say, hey, you know, if you travel to Mexico for vacation, that's a part of diplomacy because you're crossing borders. And so I try to tell people that even, even if you've never traveled the world before, that doesn't mean that you're not curious about it. And so with my with my first three episodes, I first episode I interviewed a, a black woman who left her corporate job and decided to travel the world for a full year. And she talked about what it meant to be in corporate America and didn't like that, which is something everybody can relate to. And so, Absolutely. so, so just take it there. And she said, you know what, I'm gonna take these corporate dollars I made and I'm gonna travel and do the things that I wanna do. And so she now teaches people to budget and save. And so the next episode is a little bit more intense where I'm um, interviewing a, uh, a, a Ethiopian woman from, right. yeah, an Ethiopian woman who immigrated to, to, uh, to uh, Canada. and she is organizing um, Ethiopian women in Lebanon who've been discriminated against and who face uh, a wide range of workers' rights issues. And so now, and I'm also interviewing a woman who won a Pulitzer Prize, not Pulitzer, but a Nobel Prize. Wow. No, wait, wait, let's slow on that one real quick. Just because I do not want to pass up on this woman who is making this push in Canada, just because there's been so much in terms of uprising here in the United States. And it sounds like you are really capturing the voices of the other uprisings that are going on internationally. Is that right? Absolutely. And that's the whole thing with black diplomats. I want everybody to know that collectively and globally, we we all are together. And so the the uprising that was resulted from uh, George Floyd's death and Breonna Taylor's death. Basically, we have uprisings that are going on across the world with our people and black people who are really doing the work. And so, you know, um, Banshee Emer, uh, who is you know who is a domestic worker in 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 Yemen for um, you know seven or eight years, she was organizing. She went through um, and, and immigrated there, was kicked out. Um, but it, you know, was no longer work there. But right now, 
Lebanon is dealing with a currency crisis. And so what's happening is that people who um, employed um, 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 Ethiopian workers, they're tossing at the embassy. And so oh, wow, that's, that's, like that's a lot going on. And there are so many of these stories that we need to really dive into. And it sounds like the black diplomats just really gives that to us. And, it, and I think that there's something that I'd love you to expound upon here in terms of how enriched the conversations are because they are from a black perspective. What do you think that that adds to the conversation since the vast majority of foreign, foreign diplomacy, any kind of foreign politics are discussed from a white perspective? Well, the problem is that the reason why international affairs is discussed from a, a white perspective is because it's a part of colonialism, it's a part of imperialism. And, and, and so when you think about the world powers, America is a, an imperialist power, Russia is an imperialist power. And so people who are occupiers, people who are oppressors are normally racists, right? And so who are the racists? They're normally people who are white, who are the occupiers, they normally are, or, or people who colonize, who have the, who, who are over, Seers of the mass industrial military complex. They are white people. You think about the colonization of Africa that comes from Europe. You think about the expansionism of Russia. You think about America. You think about you know our roles across the world through the CIA and you know and through all of our intelligence agencies. It's basically that's where it comes from. And I think the hardest conversation that I've had with people is really about. How do we decolonize the conversation? And that's what I talk about with black diplomats. We decolonize the conversation. And if you want to decolonize the conversation, then you have to get rid of the colonizers, right? Yeah, and you that know, is and it means white people and all in all kindness and not, and listen, I mean um, there are a lot of white people uh, who I will be interviewing. I've interviewed some, but they're more kind of like Eastern Europeans, et cetera. But in order but you have to be intentional about it. And so Colonizing, colonization, uh, white supremacy, those are very purpose driven uh, systems of oppression. And so in order to untangle that, we have to do it purposefully. And that's what dip black diplomats does, which is why for the first 10 episodes, everybody is a woman. And yeah. on every show, most of them, there's a black woman on the show. And then there are some shows where it's just all black women or as a black woman who I'm, in, who I'm um, interviewing, I'm featuring uh, directly. That is fantastic. And I do love that largely because, you know, women have been oppressed significantly just across the globe. So you are really kind of just reaching truly down to people who have that real experience and whose voices haven't been heard. And one thing I really want to kind of touch on because I think your journey has been so unique. Um, you know, you are a senior reporter for The Root. You've also spent considerable time abroad in Ukraine. What has that journey been like for you as a black man in regions of the world that are pretty much, you know, not really occupied by black people. I basically had to extend a lot of grace and it's a difference between living in a country for three years or four years versus visiting someplace for a week and not learning the language, not understanding the culture. So it's changed me. I'm a very different person in the foreign affairs space than I am in my regular job. And I say that because in order for me to live in Russia, in order for me to live in Ukraine, there's a lot of grace that I've had to extend to people. There's a lot of education that I've had to offer to people who knew very, who know very little about black folks. And so it, it's something I'm really gonna be writing about in my memoir that's gonna come out next year where I talk about borders. And so being in Detroit, 
is that it's a city, not like many big cities. It's really a it's, we we've all been segregated by our borders. When you think about redlining, you think about the ways in which uh, urban planning was mapped out for Black people who immigrated from the South up north. So we all are used to what to borders and being told where we can go and where we can't go. And so going to countries like Ukraine and going to, to Russia and other places in Eastern Europe that understand imperialism, that understand what it means to have their borders breached. That's something that I can relate to. And so that's the dynamic with which I engage folks. And so that's a very personal understanding that helps me to relate to people. Because before I went to Ukraine, before I went, to, before I crossed the American borders, I often thought about, hey, everybody's white, everybody's the same. So you go and you talk to a Georgian person who says that in Russia, we're considered black too. You're like, you all look white to me, but the more you live there, the more you understand these folks, the more you realize that they are, your ideas of what whiteness is in America are not the same as they are here. And so it's been a very personal journey where I'm, where I'm exploring how to best uh, translate the world to my fellow Americans. And that's something that's very personal, and but, but it feels good. It's a challenge that I'm up to. That's fantastic, and I'm sure that challenge is coming in handy right now. As we've had this uprising since we've had, unfortunately, the loss of George Floyd, and as a result of having these renewed and just really needed conversations about race, you know, a lot of white people have been wondering what they can do and what change they can make. And you kind of suggested that you've had to extend people a lot of grace and really had to almost teach. And so, what do you think is different from your experiences abroad than what you've seen here in terms of? the dominant culture wanting to learn more about essentially a group that they've oppressed. I think it's harder for me to do it here because I'm closer to the problem here and to the problem makers here. Whereas with a Ukrainian, I can make the excuse of, oh, they don't, they don't know any better because they don't have the same history as we do. Now, of course, they understand racism, they understand oppression, and they understand their privilege within it because they discriminate against their local black people just like white people here do. So I wanna make that clear, but because there's a bit of a distance in regards to history, in regards to culture. It's easier for me to do it over here. Now, what it has done is that it's, it's allowed me to get into serious conversation about how do I extend that grace here. And so normally on my Twitter feed, I sound like a kind of radical militant person, what have you. But the one thing that this book process and my living in this part of the world has done for me is let me know what my purpose is. And my purpose is ultimately I am a, a, a person of the world. and when it's appropriate, I try to extend grace here. And so it, and because in this role, even as I'm doing this podcast, there are so many white people who come to me and they ask me for assistance, they ask me for guidance. But if they do it in a respectful way, I don't mind doing it. And so, and also that there's privileges as a man that I have, and I get all of that, and that there's not, and it's very different from what a, a black woman would experience. But it's helped me to grow and that, and to understand how to how to how to do that here in the states. But it, had I not gone to the former Soviet Union. I would not have that empathy that I'm exploring right now. All right, well, we don't have very much time left. So do you wanna tell the viewers where they can find you? Yes, yeah, so Black Diplomats, we can go to our website, blackdiplomats.net. And we are available on all of your podcast apps. So whether it be Apple, whether it be Google, whatever, we're everywhere, Spotify, wherever. Awesome, thanks so much, Terrell. Hey, thank you so much. And now we have Ashley McGirt, longtime activist and a licensed mental health therapist in Washington State. She's pretty much everywhere talking to everyone. Why? Because right now there's a lot of trauma going on. Thank you so much for joining us, Ashley. 
Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and having this conversation. Oh, absolutely. And I'm guessing as a therapist, you must be having so many conversations with a lot of people right now because of this uprising. And essentially, it's a lot of trauma, particularly for black people. And can you talk a little bit about how the black experience has been and why there's such a drive and need for therapy? Yeah, it's actually been a huge need, not only because of the racial trauma, the protests, but just COVID. A lot of people have really been experiencing a lot of grief, a lot of anxiety and depression. And a lot of our normal coping skills that individuals utilize, they're not available anymore. Gyms are closed, beaches were shut down, parks. So the things that normally people would go to to boost their mental health, it wasn't available. So now I'm seeing an increase in people really reaching out to mental health therapists like myself. Oh, that's really great that they're getting the help they need. You know, it's unfortunate that it's come to this point, but hey, as long as they're getting it, that's an important thing. And I know that we know black people and brown people are being highly targeted for COVID-19. And also too, with this uprising going on and essentially it invigorating conversations about the legacy of slavery. Can you talk a little bit about post-traumatic slave syndrome? Yeah, that's actually a term that was coined by Dr. Joy DeGruy. She actually wrote the book on it, done the research. I trained under her, she's one of my mentors, a really amazing person. But essentially what she looks at is how intergenerational trauma has been passed down from slavery and how there's a lot of behaviors that actually served us well as black people during slavery. And now they're showing up and they're extremely harmful and hurtful. So her work really helps to undo that and to recognize some of those things. Like for instance, sometimes in black families or you'll hear things like, you know, he's no good, my son is weak. Just a lot of negative self-talk, which actually has a huge impact on the psyche of black children. But when you break it down and you look at the history of that, it's because they're repeating what the slave master actually did. So in slavery, they would sell off your children and black mothers as a protective factor. They would say things like, you know, he's weak, he's not strong because they didn't want their child sold off. But then slavery ended and a lot of those behaviors are still passed down through our family, through our DNA. Um, So a lot of my work is really around healing and repairing that collectively, especially throughout the black community. And there's just a lot of hurts. We've never had any truth and reconciliation in this country when it comes to the hurts that that we experience. Wow, Ashley, that's really powerful. And it made me think a lot about kind of, you know, my own upbringing and the experiences and the things we say and talk about. I had to have a conversation with a white friend the other day and explain that sometimes when black people are seeming to put you down, it's actually lifting you up. Um, you know, like conversations like, you know, you bad, don't hurt, don't hurt anybody, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, one of those things I think that really impacts the black community are these barriers. And we have institutional barriers, we have economic barriers that keep black people from getting the access of the mental health care that they need. What do you think needs to be done to remove some of those barriers? Um, Well, for one, there definitely needs to be more culturally um, competent clinicians available and costs. We need to eliminate the cost for services. We need to make it accessible to all because therapy is expensive. And a lot of therapists like myself, we don't take insurance because some of the negative ramifications that insurance has, a lot of the low reimbursement rates. So I've actually recently started a foundation 
to help provide free therapy to the black community where I live and also to support black clinicians, future black clinicians becoming one because the education system is also very expensive. So it's just an expensive process overall. And what ends up happening is people who are poor or lower income get left out. And then there's a mistaken belief that therapy is for white people or therapy is for the wealthy. And that's not true. It needs to be available for everyone. So that's one of the main things is addressing addressing cost and access. That's fantastic. And um, your foundation, I believe it's the Washington Therapy Foundation, is that correct? Yes, Washington Therapy Fund Foundation. Fantastic. And I know you have pretty much this wealth of experience because clearly you're very knowledgeable and you have an incredible skill set. And I understand that you've trained employees at Yale, Amazon, Lockheed Martin, and a number of other institutions. And now that there is this big push for essentially the white community to open their eyes so that they can have more open experiences to the experiences black people have. What kind of change in the needs are you seeing from these institutions wanting your help? Um, well, the big change is the fact that they're reaching out because a couple months ago I was reaching out to them and they actually didn't see a need for my services. But I'm treating a huge portion of their clients. I, I work in Seattle, so it's a huge tech industry. And the majority of my clients are with Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, all of these companies. And I'm like, I'm seeing a need. Um, so now they're just now recognizing it, which I'm happy. And an interesting thing that's actually coming up in session with a number of my clients is a lot of anxiety around the skepticism that these companies are now uh, you know, verbalizing that Black Lives Matter, but how are they actually gonna show actionable items behind those words? And so these organizations who are reaching out to me, they're taking the first step in education, providing tips and skills and tools and restructuring their organization and some of the policies that they have just around racism and white supremacy that is embedded into a lot of the work culture. Wow. And that must be kind of demanding of your time, but also, you know, your skill set. And I'm guessing, do you target pretty much, I guess, the white community differently than you do the black community when you are giving these educational and learning experiences? Um, well, there's things that I don't necessarily need to explain to the black community when I'm having a conversation with them just because there's concepts that aren't foreign to us. But things like systemic racism, police violence, those are now becoming everyday household terms, but they weren't foreign to black people, at least to most black people, we recognize what that is. So I, I don't have to do a lot of education when I'm talking specifically to the black community. You know, we get things. I actually just had a conversation today with a black organization and I'm like, you know, I feel like we all need a hug from Big Mama right now. Whereas maybe to certain communities, I have to explain who Big Mama is, but they collectively already know who she is and what she represents. Yeah, that 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 is very true. And what would you say is kind of becoming one of the bigger hurdles? when you really wanna get through to white people essentially? Um, the biggest thing, honestly, because I focus on racial trauma and in order to understand racial trauma, you have to one, understand racism and understand trauma. And I'm seeing that people get stuck on racism. They're running to Webster, so they're quoting me and going back and forth about what Webster actually says the definition of racism is because people, fail to recognize that racism is really discrimination, bigotry plus power. And if you don't have that element of power, it's not really racist. You know, I can I can hurt your feelings all day, 
But as a, a black woman, I can't systemically oppress you. You know, you're still going to get a bank loan. You're still going to get access to good education and healthcare. So it's really been getting people to recognize the power element behind racism and how these systemic issues impact our mental health and our psyche and why it's important to have culturally responsive clinicians like myself doing this work. So that's been one of the biggest hurdles, people getting hung up on just the definition of racism. And you say culturally responsive clinicians, is there kind of a push in the mental health community for maybe particularly white therapists to learn this information so that they can actually be a part of these conversations and discussions so it doesn't exclusively fall upon you? As I'd imagine there aren't that many black therapists as compared to the number of white therapists. Unfortunately, no, and that's because we really have to understand the history of mental health, psychology, psychiatry. It's an inherently racist system that I'm working within. The APA, the American Psychological Association, just recently recognized not too long ago the impact that racism has on our mental health. So while I wish this was something that is being pushed, there are definitely a lot of white allies who are advocating for this, but overall, when you look at the, the the founding board and who's um, you know in charge of the field of psychology and who makes the decisions, who helped write the DSM, these are not things that are being pushed. Dr. Joy DeGruel, who we mentioned her work with post-traumatic slave syndrome, she is not a household name. Yet we all know Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, and you know he said that black people were inferior to white. Sigmund Freud studied white Jewish women, so we. It's not something that is really advocated as a whole, but I would like to see it. Wow, well, that is something I think we would all kind of like to see, especially myself, because hey, we all want to feel balanced and get the health and the care that we need. And thank you so, so much, Ashley, for joining me. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at therapy with Ash. Um, yeah. All right. All right then, very cool. Thanks so much for joining us, Ashley, appreciate it. Thanks for having me.